This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance and I'm Mo Heng Ying. Ever calculated cost per wear of an item or suddenly just feel richer after returning a purchase that you don't like? Remember all those times we added more products into the cart just to avoid paying for shipping? You may be an expert in girl math, a term that has gained popularity over the last couple of months focused on justifying purchases. But what does it tell us about spending behaviour and could this trend be rooted in financial insecurities and stereotypes? Joining me to discuss the girl math trend is Dr Grace Lee, Professor of Economics at Monash University in Malaysia. Good morning, Dr Grace. Hi, good morning. So the girl math trend has taken the internet by storm. We saw the original content coming from a New Zealand radio show that has appeared on my TikTok many, many times. But how will you explain this trend in terms of personal finance? Okay, Girl math is the trend where spending decisions are rationalized humorously with illogical logic. Uh, let me just give a few more examples of how girl math works. When I pay with cash, it almost feels like it's free because it doesn't lower my bank balance. If I plan to get my facial done for, say, 300 ringgit but cancel it last minute, I feel like I suddenly have an extra 300 ringgit to splurge. Also, whenever I spend from my preloaded digital wallet like Touch and Go, Shopee or Grab, it doesn't feel like spending real money. Real money is what's sitting in my bank account. So again, these are some examples of girl math. Does it make sense to you? Yeah, so it's like spending on credit card like that, right? Yeah, I mean, cash or preloaded digital wallet. Mm. It's not, it doesn't lower my bank balance. That's how the logic works. So the inclination to rationalize financial behaviors, especially through seemingly logical but flawed reasoning, is very well documented in behavioral science. And there are two key concepts that I would like to discuss briefly. First is the theory of cognitive dissonance. And this is a discomfort experience when we are confronted with two conflicting beliefs. So for instance, knowing very well that I should save money, but also want to make the purchase. So these are two conflicting beliefs. So to ease this discomfort, I might rationalize a purchase by thinking, since it's, since it's on sale, so I'm actually saving money. So another concept is mental discounting. And this is a theory introduced by Richard Taylor back in 1999. He's a big name in behavioral economics who won the Nobel Prize in 2017 for his nudge theory um, that, you, that you might have heard of. Let me just give you an example of mental accounting. So there's this anti-aging cream that I've been eyeing and it costs a thousand ringgit. Yeah, I know that sounds exorbitant at first, but then I did some quick mental accounting. If I break it down, it actually costs less than four ringgit a day and that's even cheaper than my daily coffee. And think about it, for less than the price of a coffee, I could look younger. So in mental accounting, we often find ways to justify our spending by reframing it, comparing it to other expenses or focusing on the perceived benefits. Mm. So it's not just a cream, it's an investment in my appearance and by extension, my self-esteem and happiness. It's a way of making peace with spending a large amount by breaking it down into smaller, seemingly more palatable pieces. 
So, can this concept describe situations where, you know, we fall for offers like buy one, get a 10% discount, buy the second one to get a 20% discount, even when we only just need one? Yes, definitely. So, in the case of these discount offers, the mental accounting or justification might go like this. If I buy two items instead of one, I'm getting a bigger discount, so I'm actually saving more money. This logic can lead us to buy more than we need, driven by the perceived value of the deal rather than actual necessity. And this is a classic example of how our perception of saving can overshadow practical spending decisions. And from your perspective, right, is this a new behaviour pattern or has it always existed but we just didn't have a name for it until like Gen Z came in? Because at some point in our lives, we always justify our purchases. Yes, you're right. Uh, this trend indeed reflects a behavioural pattern that has long existed before perhaps wasn't, wasn't as prominently labelled or discussed until recently. Gen Z growing up in an era of social media has a unique platform to popularize and name these behaviors, which were previously understood in academic or more formal setting. So um, the trend actually reflects a broader human tendency to justify actions, um, especially in the realm of personal finance. So you mentioned two concepts, cognitive dissonance, mental accounting. What's at play here is psychology. And despite the label girl math, does it have anything to do with gender? And has this reinforced a stereotype that women is not capable of managing their finances? Um, thank you for asking this question. Despite the name, it is certainly not about gender. It's more about how all of us, regardless of gender, can sometimes twist our financial logic in funny ways. The name Girl math just sort of caught on, probably because it started with some relatable jokes and stories that many young women shared online. But here's the thing. This definitely isn't just a girl thing. Everyone at some point finds creative ways to justify their spending, like buying something because it's on sale or thinking of purchasing in terms of daily costs to make it seem smaller. Now about uh, reinforcing stereotypes, that's a valid concern. When the trend is all in good fun, we have to be careful not to perpetuate the outdated and incorrect stereotype that women can't manage finances. The reality is financial savvy or the occasional quirky justifications of a purchase isn't tied to gender. People of all genders can be great or not so great with money. You mentioned about calculating costs per use, like your skincare cream, and I definitely do that. Sometimes a price tag can make me feel uncomfortable. And then Gilmath steps in and breaks it down into bite-sized pieces for me. And then suddenly this outrageous splurge translates into just a few ringgit a day. So how dangerous is this art of calculating cost per use and when does it really make sense to do so? Yes, breaking down a large expense into what seems like manageable daily costs is really a clever trick our minds play to justify a splurge. I think that this approach can be a double-edged sword. On the bright side, calculating the cost per use is a smart way to assess the value of something, especially if it is an item you use frequently, like investing in a quality pair of shoes that you wear every day. Sure, they might be expensive upfront, but if you're going to wear them all the time, the cost per wear becomes surprisingly low. So in such cases, it's practical. However, here's a catch, and it's a big one. This method can be very risky if it leads us to spend beyond our means. 
it's really easy to fall into the trap of justifying just about any purchase, no matter how pricey, by breaking it down into seemingly small daily amounts. But let's be real. If we start applying this logic to everything, it's like a leak in the dam. Small at first, but it can lead to a flood of financial troubles. So I think the key is always moderation. Little luxuries, absolutely, they can add a splat of joy to life, but it's crucial to strike a balance. We need to ask ourselves, can I truly afford this without stretching my budget? It's all about making informed choices that bring happiness without jeopardizing our financial stability. So another example uh, is when we feel richer after returning a purchase or when we leave a store without buying anything. So it's like money grew in our mind, but it did not actually grow in our wallet. You also mentioned this. Is this a display about how some people view money relatively rather than in absolute terms? Economically speaking, it's kind of like a twist on sunk costs, which is a concept that money that you've already spent and um, can't recover. So when you return something and get a refund, it feels like you're making money because you're recovering a sunk cost, which normally is impossible. So getting a refund feels like a win, but really it's just undoing a past expense, right? Similarly, walking out of the store without buying anything can give us a sense of financial victory. Um, it's not that we've actually made money, but by not spending, we feel as though we've saved it. Um, yes. This shows how our perception of money is often relative. Mm. We're not just thinking about what's in our wallet, but also what we might have spent. So yes, this behavior is a clear display of how people often think about money in relative terms. Um, it's not just about how much money we have, but how we manage, spend and save and the feelings associated with those actions. So in the end, um, it's really fascinating how our minds can make us feel richer or poorer, even without a single sense actually moving. Miracles can happen inside our brain. You also mentioned about us not spending beyond our means. And I just want to talk about in what ways has girl math been overdone and become dangerous to our financial health? How can we examine our own behaviours? What are the checkpoints that we should have in place? Um, girl math can definitely tip over into the risky territory when it leads to us justifying excessive spending. It's like telling yourself that a high-end handbag is a great deal if you use it every day. But this logic can really spiral out of control. You might start applying it to things you don't need, creating a pattern of um, overspending. To keep our financial health in check, it's crucial to step back and honestly assess our own habits. Ask yourself, are these purchases truly necessary? Are you using this logic to justify wants as needs? Um, it's also helpful to track your spending. Mm -hmm. I think seeing the actual numbers can be a wake-up call. You know, the number of your credit card bills, for instance. Highlighting the difference between what we think we spend and what we actually spend. I've been speaking to Dr. Grace Lee, Professor of Economics at Monash University, Malaysia. We'll be taking a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9.
the business station. BFM 89.9, welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Mo Hengying. Today, we're discussing the girl math trend and the relationship between gender, money and emotions. Joining me to discuss this is Dr. Grace Lee, Professor of Economics at Monash University in Malaysia. Dr. Grace, just now we discussed that girl math happens to everyone regardless of gender. We want to discuss gender wage disparity. It remains a large issue here as women continue to trail in earning capacity. In the context of behavioural economics, how has gender pay gap impact how women spend? Um, the gender wage gap in Malaysia indeed shapes how women approach spending. Women, on average, and lesser, often have to be more strategic and cautious with their finances. So this can mean prioritizing essential expenses and being more selective with um, discretionary spending. It's a bit like having a smaller budget for a shopping trip. So you've just got to make careful choices about what goes into your cart. Women might also lean towards finding better deals or discounts, uh, stretching their ringgit further. So the pay gap does not just affect the amount women earn, it deeply influences their spending habits. Um, encouraging a more mindful and calculated approach to managing their finances, I think this is a ripple effect where earning less leads to a more cautious spending strategy. And recent studies have also shown that women are less likely to invest than men, but when they do, women make better investments than men. Uh, why do you think is that the case? And are there any ways we can apply the girl math behaviour in investments? It's quite interesting that when women do invest, they often outperform men despite being less likely to invest in the first place. Um, a big reason for this, I think, is that women tend to take a more cautious and research-driven approach. They're generally not as prone to taking big risks and are more likely to think uh, longer term, which could lead to a more stable and successful investment strategies. Um, your next question whether we can apply girl math behavior in investments, sure thing. Um, applying girl math, which often involves a bit of a creative reasoning in spending, right? Mm. So um, to investment can be quite interesting, I think. It's all about using that same neck of rationalizing purchases to make uh, smarter investment choices. For instance, you could think, all right, if I skip buying a fancy coffee every day and invest that money instead, I could grow a decent sum over time. So this way, you're turning what could be an everyday expense into an opportunity for financial growth. However, I think it is really crucial to remember that investments require a bit more logic and less of an illogical side of the girl math. While the concept can be a fun way of uh, reframing saving and investment, it is also important to base investment decisions on solid research and a clear understanding of risk rather than purely on mental accounting tricks. And continuing on the topic of gender, when it comes to spending habits, are there any gender stereotypes that should be debunked? Oh, absolutely. There are several gender stereotypes in spending habits that could use some debunking, for instance. That's the stereotype that men are all about big, impulsive purchases like fancy cars mm. or tech gadgets. But in reality, many men are quite cautious with their spending, focusing on value and long-term utility. Um, another common stereotype is that women are natural shopaholics, mm. drawn to fashion, um, however, colors women are really incredibly savvy with their finances, focused on budgeting, saving and investing wisely. 
And let's not forget um, the generalization that women are the only ones who coupon or look for deals. Men can be just as keen on finding bargains and managing households mm. um, expenses efficiently. So the bottom line is spending habits are individual and cannot be neatly boxed into gender stereotypes. So people of all genders can be frugal, extravagant or anything in between. It's more about personal values and circumstances than gender. Mm. And also we want to backtrack and just discuss the connection between mental health and how we deal with money. Is there any connection between the way we justify our spending and also our mental well-being? Um, absolutely. There is a clear link between our mental well-being and how we justify spending. When we are in a good mental space, we're usually more likely to make balance, more balanced uh, financial decisions. A little splurge here and there can definitely add some joy to life. It's like treating yourself to a nice meal or a mm. holiday. These splashes can be a real mood booster. Um, however, when we start justifying excessive spending as a way to cope with stress or mm. emotional issues, that's where the balance tips. The temporarily high from a shopping spree fades very quickly, often leaving behind regrets and financial stress. So over time, this cycle of overspending to feel good can really negatively impact our mental health and uh, creating sort of a loop where we spend to feel better but end up feeling worse due to financial strain. So striking a balance, again, is key. It's important to recognize when our spending is driven by emotional needs rather than practical ones. Keeping this in check can help maintain both our financial and mental well-being, allowing us to enjoy the little luxuries mm. without the burden of financial distress. Some people have to also manage unproductive guilt, right, when it comes to uh, spending on things that give us joy while responsibly managing our money. How do we strike that balance? Yeah, you're spot on. Um, it's not just about the spending itself, but also the guilt that can come with it, mm. especially if it feels unproductive. Um, I think finding that sweet spot between enjoying the things that bring us joy and responsibly managing money is key. The, the trick is to budget for both needs and wants. Allocate a certain portion of your income for savings and essentials, but also set aside what I call a happiness fund for those joyful purchases being a fancy dinner or a new gadget. So this way you're taking care of your financial uh, responsibilities while also allowing yourself some guilt-free spending. Um, I think it's definitely helpful to periodically review your expenses. Ask yourself, are these purchases adding value to my life? Am I spending within my means? Um, yeah, adjust your budget as needed to maintain um, a healthy balance. So I think it's perfectly okay to spend on things that make you happy mm -hmm. as long as it's done within the framework of responsible financial planning. Um, it's all about moderation and mindful spending, in my opinion. The way we make decisions is very complex. So how can we uh, sometimes recognise these cognitive biases in our everyday decisions? Where else can we use girl math while avoiding huge money mistakes? I think recognising the biases is the first step. It helps to pause and reflect. Are you justifying a purchase because you deserve it after a bad day? Or is it something that you really need? 
So that's where girl math can be both helpful and tricky. So you can use girl math effectively for practical decisions, uh, like buying a quality pair of shoes. Um, it's really great for seeing the long-term value in purchases. But to avoid big money mistakes, be wary of using girl math to rationalize impulsive or unnecessary buys. Um if you find yourself stretching the logic to justify a purchase, it might be time to step back and think. Um, I've definitely been there with impulsive purchases that mm. I ended up regretting. Mm. It was one of those moments where the promise of luxury and self-care mm. really completely swept me away. Uh, it felt exciting at the moment, but the excitement really quickly faded when I realized it wasn't something that I needed. And the regret really hit hard and my wallet wasn't too happy either. So my tip is um, always give yourself a moment to think it mm. through. Um, impulsive purchase can be tempting, but remember how it feels to regret a purchase can be a powerful deterrent. Um, yeah, so I think it's important to learn from our past mistakes mm. to make smarter choices in the future. All right, Dr. Grace, I have to conclude this conversation with a fun question. I've definitely done some girl math before. You probably have to. You have shared before. How else have you applied this fun logic in your life? Oh, yes. Um, every year, I look forward to receiving my tax refund. <laughs> and I see this as free money mm. and splurge on something that I wouldn't usually buy. But really, it's just part of my income that I overpaid in taxes, right? It's not free money. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Grace Lee. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. That's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to Dr. Grace Lee, Professor of Economics at Monash University, Malaysia. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. Up next, we have 10am News Bulletin, followed by Enterprise. I'm Mo Henging from The Morning Run, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.